0: Well, good morning. Hey, it's good to be back with you after being gone last week, and uh, Pastor Josh was up here uh, delivering the message, did a great job. Um, I tell you, so much has happened since the last time I was up here two weeks ago. Um, uh, about a week and a half ago, um, uh, our 16-year-old son uh, got his driver's license, so needless to say, our prayer lives have increased uh, really well, uh, but he's doing a good job. <laughs> he's giving me a look right now. Um, and, and if you didn't hear, our oldest daughter, Samantha, got engaged uh, a little over a week ago, which is really exciting, but Daddy is working through that right now. Um, and then we actually sent Samantha this morning. Susan took her to Indy this morning at about 3 o'clock, and she's on her way to Zambia right now for a mission slash educational trip uh, with her school. Uh, It's going to be in Zambia for about 16 days, so appreciate your prayers for her. And then last week, um, with a crew of five others from ECOB and about another dozen others from elsewhere, uh, I was in Detroit, and uh, we were there with uh, a part of Brethren Disaster Ministries. In fact, this is our crew from ECOB, Jim Shank, uh, Tom Welch, Uh, who is possibly the funniest man alive that I never knew, and um, myself, and then the yellow sisters in the front, um, Paula and Janine, and then Barb Stonecash, of course, on her 61st trip, And so it was great to share the week with them and so many others. Uh, We served the people of Detroit as we went into basements that were affected by flooding uh, back in 2014 and helped uh, rebuild uh, and and renovate those basements. And I'll be sharing a little bit more about that. But thank you for those who prayed for us and those who continue to give to BDM. Um, I encourage you to make time uh, to... to to go and be a part of one of these trips, Uh, it's important to to not only be the hands and feet of Christ, but also allow him to use you in other ways and teach you, and that he did this week. So it's been a busy couple weeks. It's good to be back up here. Last week, Pastor Josh, as we uh, shared with us, as we continue to move through the story, um, uh, God's story, is uh, he kind of kind of grabbed the first part of this of Moses' story. And Moses is being called to uh, step into this role of leader uh, and, and be um, an instrument for God as they, uh, he sends him and Aaron in to release the Israelites from captivity in Egypt. They had been there about 430 years most of those times, most of those years in captivity. And so today we're going to kind of take the next chapter of Moses' story, specifically looking at the Exodus from Egypt. It's an incredible story if you've never read it. You'll find it in chapters around chapter 4 through uh, 14, 15 of the book of Exodus. And one of the themes, the primary theme of this uh, section of God's story is deliverance. Deliverance of not just a people but deliverance of a people that He has set for redemption. And so, as we look at this today, I want us to kind of hone in on that and focus on this historical part of history that we see um, laid out in the book of Exodus in the Bible. If if you're not aware, deliverance is simply defined as rescue or redemption. And what we are going to look at today and see is that this idea of deliverance was a very... significant concept in the life of those uh, in the Old Testament. The basic Old Testament concept is that a deliverer uh, is expressed in a Hebrew word uh, that is known as next of kin. And what it dealt with was that a close relative was responsible when someone was in distress and someone needed rescue to redeem from slavery perhaps or other things, is that the Old Testament concept was that the next of kin was to be the one who brought them out of that. And so what we see in this story of God's redemption of the Israelite people is this very familiar concept to them. If you're not familiar with your Exodus story, let me give you about a 60-second overview. Moses and Aaron are equipped by God to not only lead the Israelites out of Egypt, but to also face Pharaoh, the God of Egypt, essentially. And call upon, he called upon them to bring them out of their captivity. Pharaoh wanted nothing to do with it. In fact, made their, their uh, jobs of making brick much more difficult. So opposition came in. God, as he had planned and predicted that Pharaoh would do, is that he sent a series of ten different plagues. Everything from gnats, to boils on the skin, to a killing of livestock, to the final culmination of that, which was um, the plague of the firstborn. Through all of that, Pharaoh eventually said, go and worship your God. And so God, as an act of worship and obedience, calls upon the Israelites the night before they were to exit from the land of Egypt. He establishes what is known as the Passover, where, the, where they had to walk through a series of obedient steps and worship to God. And the Israelites did it. And so God delivered them out of this land after 430 years. And then in one final mighty act of His supernatural power, is that he parts the sea so the Israelites can exit finally from Egypt on dry land. And after they exit, the Egyptians had changed their mind. Pharaoh had decided, no, you're not going to go. And so they chased them. And so while the water had been held back by God, the Israelite—excuse me—the Egyptians entered in a chase into the sea. And by, by an act of God, supernaturally, The tapping of the stick into that sea. The waters came rushing back over and flooded and overcame the Egyptians. In excess of two million men, women, and children had just been freed. It's a story of monumental proportions. And there's a couple of things I think God wants us to understand that has to do with us today. It's a great story. There's a lot of drama and you say, so what's the point? The point is, God is a God of deliverance. He is just as much a God of deliverance today than he was back in the time of the Hebrews leaving Egypt. And my prayer for us as a church, as a people of God, no matter where you are in understanding or following God, is that you would see God as a God who delivers. He doesn't do it accidentally. He doesn't do it haphazardly. He delivers to rescue his people from anything. One of the things in this story that I think is significant to understand with deliverance is that deliverance is foremost a demonstration of God's power. Any deliverance that you or I or the Israelites, anybody else in history has experienced from God, the deliverance is primarily a demonstration of God's power. Why? Because He wants to bring Himself glory. Sometimes we get caught up in our own deliverances from different things. And we tend to perhaps focus on our story. Our story is not the most important story. It's God's story. And so when God acts in such a way as he did with the Israelites, it's to demonstrate his power. He wanted all to know that this was not a story about an enslaved people. This was not a story about a mean Egyptian pharaoh. This was a story about the supremacy and power and magnificence of God. And isn't it true that every story of deliverance, that's what it's about first? And we, in some crazy, ridiculous way, get to be a part of it. By God's compassion and His mercy. It wasn't a story between Israel and Pharaoh, or Israel and Egypt. No, it was a story of the battle between Yahweh, the one true God, and all of the empty, false gods of Egypt. You see, in the land of Egypt, there were gods everywhere. There was the God of the sun. There was the God of the Nile. There was God of everything. In fact, Pharaoh was seen as a god, and he welcomed that. And so whoever stepped into the role of Pharaoh, he was seen as a god. All the while, the one true God was pushed aside. That's why Pharaoh was so resistant But what's fascinating about this story is that God in every act along the way demonstrated his power. Every step along the way, he sought to reveal himself, not just, oh, look at me, I can do this, but in each demonstration of power, what we see is a revelation of God's character. You know, we can talk about God's power all day long, but we must understand his power is aligned with his character. He delivered the people of Israel out of compassion, out of mercy. They didn't deserve it, but he did it anyways. If you look in Exodus chapter 4, we're going to kind of take a, a, a cruise through some particular scriptures. This one's on the screen, Exodus 4, starting at verse 27. One of the ways God revealed himself and demonstrated his power was through Moses and Aaron. Verse 27 of chapter 4 says, The Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he met Moses at the mountain of God and kissed him. Then Moses told Aaron everything the Lord had sent him to say, and also about all the signs he had commanded him to perform. Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites, and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people, and they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. You see, God demonstrated His power by bringing these very weak individuals of Moses and Aaron, very normal guys, very very typical people, and said, I'm going to empower you and equip you, and I'm going to display my power through you as you throw Um, uh, throw a stick down on the ground and it turns to a snake and pick it back up again and on and on and on but he demonstrates his ability Pastor Josh talked about how even Moses was reluctant at points but God said that's not going to stand in my way and so Moses and Aaron kind of get a preview of what is to come if you doubt me God says then just watch because I want you to recognize that all of this is by my hand and by my glory, for my glory. And then come chapters 7 through 11, the plagues. These are, these are tremendous. If you study and wanted, you want something to dig into a little bit more, go in and look at the plagues. And look at the, the, not only the severity of them, but what they actually do supernaturally. Some commentators will explain these things out as natural things. Let me tell you, it's not natural what God did here. Because if you dig into them more, you realize it is only by the supernatural, all-encompassing power of God that these things happened. You cannot explain them. Now often when I've read the plagues in the past, I saw them as being like maybe a period of seven days. No, this was months. This was like from a July to the following spring that God over and over again was trying to demonstrate His power to the people. And in fact, if you study even deeper, what you'll find, and some suggest, is that every plague was an attack on an Egyptian god. And so everyone was meticulously, specifically in its timing, in its detail, a supernatural act of God. We we should do nothing but stand back in awe of God's power demonstrated in the plagues. That is the same power that God is able to demonstrate today in any way He chooses. We serve an almighty God. And by one final culmination, crossing on dry land, holding back that sea. And there's all those explanations, well, it was the time of the year that it wasn't flooding, this, blah, blah, blah. Baloney! Let's not be afraid to believe in a God who does supernatural things. Let's not try to explain it all. Some would call that being weak of mind. I call it faith. Faith in what God can do. You know, I think so often... We want to diminish God's power. And one of the ways we do that, somewhat unintentionally, is we talk about all the blessings that we receive. Now, God loves doing that. I believe it brings Him great joy because it draws us to Himself. But we cannot underestimate or diminish the power of God. In any deliverance, in any time God rescues from something, whether it's physical, whether it's emotional, whether it's spiritual... That is a supernatural, supernatural act of the mighty God. You see, there really is no other power besides God's power. Everything else is a, it's just a small imitation of what God really does. But the reality of God's power, whether we experience it every day or not, is still there. I think as humans, particularly in our culture today, If we didn't experience God today, we tend to get nervous and think, well, maybe he's not God. Maybe he's absent. He's not absent. We've talked about that over the last few weeks. And his power is available, just as it was to the Israelites. Here's a picture of me and one of my new friends. This is Miss Shirley. Shirley lives... In uh, Dearborn Heights area of Detroit, which is really just an outskirts of the city, she has a Detroit address. We're standing in her living room. She is 68 years old, retired LPN. First day we met her, we were working in her basement, and I went up and said, "Miss Shirley, uh, would you be okay if we ate your lunch that we packed, the lunch we packed, on your porch? You will not. You are going to come into my home and sit at my dining room table. That's where you're going to eat your lunch. I said, yes, ma'am. That's what we're going to do. She's a beautiful lady. And you know what she started to talk about? And and I, I don't think this is accidental. But we sat at the table and she began to share her story. She began to share about 16 years ago in her life, late 40s, early 50s, When God delivered her. And that's the word she used. She said, I am so grateful to God. He delivered me. First of all, he delivered me from alcohol. She said, I drank so much alcohol. She told the story specifically of reaching in and getting a Colt 45 out of her refrigerator, pulling out, drinking it down. And then grabbing the next one. Saying, God help me. And she started it and she said she had to go out of the house because it made her sick to her stomach. She said, I've not had a drink since. God delivered me from alcohol. And then she went on to say, smoking was an addiction for me. Smoking was something that controlled me. And I needed to get away from it. And she said about a year later, almost to the day, God delivered me from that addiction of smoking. And I'm sitting here thinking, do you know what I'm preaching on this week? She didn't. She didn't know I was a pastor till the end of the week. And then probably one of the most significant aspects of deliverance for her came from sexual promiscuity. She was quite ashamed of this. You could tell. And we, weren't, we were not priming the pump for anything. We're sitting here eating our cold meat sandwiches, and she is just testifying about the Lord. And she said, um, she said, I just, I, I, I messed around a lot in a lot of wrong ways. And she said, within a period of two years, though, the Lord delivered me from that. She said, I'm single today because of the addiction that I dealt with in sexual promiscuity. Now, she had a child. She had a child, never married. Her daughter died five years ago at the age, four years ago, excuse me, at the age of 45 from an aneurysm. So I went into her living room. I said, there was a picture. I said, is this your daughter? She said, no, she's over here. So I walked around with her. She said, that's my girl right there. And you know what? She had so many reasons to complain about her daughter being taken. This, that, whatever. And what she said more than anything is how good God is. How wonderful God had been to her. She taught me so much about about the fact that I need to be one, not just from a pulpit or a platform, but I need to be one that talks about God's power and His glory, and not just how it benefits me. Because, you know, we kind of tend to do that, don't we? We kind of take our story and think it's the only story. Now I know God has met some of you very personally and has delivered you, but that is part of the story, and that is only secondary to the greater story of God. And it doesn't mean that you're not important, it doesn't mean that what He delivered you from was not significant, but you are one of many, and you are a sampling of what God wants to do in every single life. And sometimes when we just talk about our deliverance and focus on us, people miss the power of God. And some people, you've perhaps thought that yourself, I guess I'm just not blessed enough. I guess God just doesn't love me enough. I guess I just don't go to church enough. I don't do those religious things. While those are good things, that's not what brings God's deliverance to your life. In fact, I want to ask a couple questions as we pull things together I want to ask a couple questions for us to think about that have to do with deliverance. Because every deliverance brings what I'd like to call a crisis of belief. Now, this is not my term. This is a term that I learned years ago in experiencing God by Henry Blackaby. I don't know that he was the one that coined this, but this is uh, the, the first place that I'd encountered this. When God delivers anyone... From any situation or circumstance, he presents a series of crisis of belief. A crisis of belief is simply when we reach a point at which we are faced to believe in something greater, greater about God than we ever have, and that we have a choice to make, a choice to respond in faith. Because church, it doesn't make sense most of the time. It doesn't make sense most of the time to believe in God. No matter what we've seen, no matter what we've heard, most of the time it doesn't make sense. That's what makes him God. And a crisis of belief is that point where God is stretching us, God is pushing us and saying to us, are you going to believe this? Are you going to believe in who I am for this? Because I am God. And you are not, God says. Look, at me with, uh, look with me at um, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. This kind of, in, in my mind, kind of wraps up this crisis of belief concept. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. That is not a one-time thing, friends. That is not, I'm saved, it's all good. That is a significant point in our lives. But God wants us to see Him over and over and over again in greater ways. Because what does that do? That increases our faith, which brings Him more glory. Deliverance always is a pivotal point for us. And I just want to say this before I move forward. Every one of us sitting here today has to be delivered from something. Maybe it's discouragement. Maybe you just feel like you're fighting a battle that has just so discouraged you. And you're trying, and it's hard. Maybe it's that you do need delivered from an addiction like Miss Shirley. Maybe it's an addiction to pornography. Maybe it's an addiction to yourself. I don't know what that is for each of you. God does. But I want you to ask yourself these questions. Because maybe it's just deliverance from your limited view of who God is. Maybe it's deliverance from a God that you knew years ago, and you've kept Him trapped. You've kept Him limited, and you kind of have stopped believing in His greatness. Maybe that's what you need delivered from. I approach life, I approach my faith that God wants to deliver me from anything and everything at any point at any time if I'm willing and I'm ready. Sometimes I don't even know what I need to be delivered from. But I want to, I want us to expectantly await what He wants to deliver us from. The first question, when deliverance causes a crisis of belief, Will you surrender your will to allow God to use you to bring Him glory? Will you surrender, that's the key word, your will to allow God to use you to bring Him glory? Exodus chapter 6, verses 2 through 5. This one will be on the screen. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself fully known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. God's deliverance is a reference back to his covenant. The reason God delivers any of us, the reason God delivered the Israelites was because of the covenant that we have with God. Now in this day and age, excuse me, at this time in history, it was the old covenant. It was the covenant that was very much the law. We have a new covenant today. We have a covenant that far, far extends beyond the old covenant let me read this for you. It's not on the screen. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 through 18. This explains a new covenant, a great place for further study. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant, the law, is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it, the old covenant, taken away. Even to this day when Moses has read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is, anybody know it? Freedom, freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory and being transformed in His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. What does that mean? That means when we surrender to Christ, the new covenant, we will see in new ways God's glory. What it means is that God will allow us to be used for His purposes. It's our only hope. Early on when Moses and Aaron were trying to get things together to head into Egypt and bring the Israelites out, the only hope that Moses and Aaron had was what God just spoke to them, the covenant. They had nothing else to hang their hat on. Nothing else except God's promise of covenant that John preached about a few weeks ago. We have a better covenant, a supreme covenant in Christ. The question that that comes before us every single day, particularly in moments of deliverance, is will we surrender to what that is? Will we allow God to use our lives for His glory? The next question, will you believe in God's ability and power? The key word is believe. In God's ability and power to overcome anything to accomplish His purposes. Uh, Look at chapter 3. This is on the screen. Verses 13 through 15. Helps if I get in the right book, doesn't it? So sorry. I was getting a little momentum and kind of blew it, didn't I? All right, here we go. Chapter 3 of Exodus, verse 13. Moses said to God, Verse 15, God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. It is so fascinating what God is doing here. He is using the name Yahweh. If you look back to the Hebrew text, he is using the name Yahweh. Many of you have heard that before. The the meaning is I am. It's a shortened version of I am who I am which when you're reading sounds a bit like nonsense, doesn't it? Well, what does that mean? Oh, man, it means some good stuff. What it means is that God is. What it means is that we don't need a descriptive name like the gods of Egypt. Well, the god of the sun, the god of the Nile, the god of the gnats, or whatever else. No, all we need to say is Yahweh, God is. There is no description necessary He doesn't need anything else to describe who He is. He is God, the one true God. And what is so amazing about that and important for us is that God wanted the Israelites to recognize Him as a personal God, a God of the now. You see, much like us today, we think and read about the God of the past and we think about heaven and the God of the future and the new Jerusalem. God calls us, just as He called the Israelites, to understand Yahweh as the God of now. God's power is available to us now. Not just when some crisis starts. God's ability to use us is now. And what... What he alludes to here, and by using Yahweh, is to say, it's not that you've never used Yahweh before, but what I want you to understand is that you've heard that name, now I want you to experience me. It's the whole knowing knowing about God and knowing God personally. I don't know if you've ever been around a Christian before who they can recite the Bible, they can name off all kinds of stuff, and they talk about God all the time. But somehow when you walk away from them, you're thinking, do you really know him? I do not want to be a Christian debater to defend God. He doesn't need defending. God is big enough to defend himself. I want to be a man of God. I want us to be the people of God who experience God. Not some goofy, feely, woo kind of thing. No, I'm talking about real supernatural power where you you know God. And when you testify about God, you are speaking personally, not of some story hundreds of years ago, but how God, Yahweh, met you and continues to do so. You see, God is a God of the now, not just the past and the future. So why does that matter? It goes back to what I said before. We need God's power to deliver us. It doesn't mean that you're all messed up. It doesn't mean that your life is horrible. In fact, sometimes I think we get lulled into by the enemy to think, well, life's okay. Nothing's major happening. Things are kind of okay. That's what the enemy wants us to believe. I stand here today not knowing all that this means, but I need to be delivered. I need to be delivered, not because I don't know Christ, but because I want to know him more. I need whatever is in the way of me drawing closer and becoming more like Christ to get out of the way. And the only way that happens is not by my power, not by doing all kinds of religious activities, although they are important. It's about God and looking to Him and recognizing His power and being like the Israelites who worshipped. I think God would have to do probably 15 or 20 plagues for me to get it. That's how I feel sometimes. I don't know about you. Ten doesn't seem like a lot. But the tenth one, let's talk about that. The next question, will you follow in obedience as a means of worship? Look at Exodus 12. We're about done. Exodus 12. Verses 24 through 28. The Passover took place right before the last plague, and that's the plague of the firstborn, where God swept through Egypt and struck down the firstborn of every Egyptian, firstborn male. And what's fascinating about this is that every other plague the Israelites were exempt from, not this one. So God, in a whole new way, demonstrates His power and says, Israelites, I want you to obey me, and I want you to worship me. And so here's what I want you to do. That's what the Passover is. It's a step of faith, obedience, and worship. Verse 24, God says, Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, What does this ceremony mean to you? tell them. Then tell them it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down and worshipped. The Israelites did just what the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. You see, they had a lamb, and this lamb, without defect, they had to select, and God gave very specific instructions, slaughter that lamb and take that blood and wipe it over the doorpost of your home. And that is not simply a sign for me to pass over you. What it is more than anything, it's a sign that you believe in my power. You believe that I am Yahweh of now. And so that's what they did. They applied that blood And those who didn't, they weren't protected. They lost their firstborn. But those who did, they saw the mighty hand of God. But each family had to act. Somebody could not do it for them. God wanted obedience. And that's why this question of crisis of belief, question on follow is important. Sometimes we get to a point we've surrendered and and we believe, but that step of faith is so hard believe in the power of God to deliver. This is a foreshadowing of the ultimate deliverer. It's the foreshadowing of the one who went to the cross. Colossians 1:13 says, "For he that is Christ has rescued us, deliver from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves." If you've never experienced deliverance, if you've never experienced that salvation in Christ, I want you to do that today. Not because uh, that has anything to do with me, but I don't want you to miss out anymore. I don't want you to miss what God wants to do in your life. You see, God's ultimate goal is to rescue us and glorify himself through that. The last question. And I think this is where a lot of us stand at times is we we are ready to receive the blessings of God, but then we don't talk about them. We don't share them. And so the last question is, will you proclaim his greatness before others? And notice I didn't say, will you tell them how much he has blessed you? That's not what I said. What I said is, will you proclaim his greatness, his glory before others? One of the things that endeared me so much to Miss Shirley is while she gave me and others the detail of this story, what I heard through the whole thing over and over again was how good God was. How magnificent, how undeserving she was, and how beautiful God was. That's what people should hear from us, isn't it? Isn't that the foremost thing people should hear from us as Christ followers? How good God is. Well, tell me how good He is. Okay, I'll tell you. I see people post, I see people talk about all the blessings they receive, and it becomes a very prideful thing because it sometimes looks like you've earned it. Well, I've gone to church so many years and God's blessed me. Yeah, He has, but it's not because you've been to church so many many times. He does honor that, He does value that, and you need to keep doing that. But what happens more than anything is God brings glory to Himself. And just like Shirley's story, I want our stories to bless others, to bring God's glory into their life. You are surrounded by people every single day that have no clue what the glory of God is about. And stop holding it to yourselves. Stop assuming everybody knows about God's glory. Stop assuming that if they're not in church, then they don't care about God's glory. They do, they just don't know about it. They need to hear from someone like you and you and you because they don't know what it really looks like except this big book that's so overwhelming. They want to hear real-life stories of where God's deliverance came through. Incredible circumstances. God's counting on you for that. I want to be a man that people know of me, that I proclaim the glory of God, not just as a preacher on a platform, but as a man wherever God takes me, to Detroit or anywhere else, down the street or in town, as I'm proclaiming the glory of God. Let it be said of you too. I don't know what that means, that you need to get out of the way to do that, what you need to be delivered from, but I would guarantee there's probably something that's holding you back from doing that. I don't know what that is, but allow God's power to be demonstrated in your life. Allow your faith to grow in greatness. And let's stop worshiping a God that is so minor, that is so puny, and so insignificant. But a God that has overwhelmed us in such a way that we cannot help but honor Him and worship Him. So many of you have done that. And I'm grateful because I know your stories. And you've encouraged me and you've blessed me in so many ways. But you know what I want to do with that? Proclaim God's goodness. Let's be people who do that. Father, thank you for this day. Your deliverance of a people. What a mighty supernatural thing you've done. But God, you're not done. You didn't end with the Israelites. Throughout history, you continue to be a God The God who delivers. May we not just receive it, but that we proclaim it. Lord, as we worship now, as we stand and and sing praises, let it be a preparation for our hearts for when we walk out of this building and that our praises will not just be in song, but they will be in testimony. They will be in every encounter as we talk about the greatness and mighty. Wonderful glory of God. Be with us now as we worship and more so as we walk out of this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and worship.